the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. Good to be with you today as we are each and every day from 3 to 5. And luck going on today. Hey, I want to talk to you about Holy Week. It's Monday on Holy Week. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Something that we are doing for Holy Week is making sure that Uh, we can take some time to take it seriously, to actually investigate what Holy Week is about, recommit our faith, and we're giving you an opportunity to do that. If you go to our home radio station, kkla.com, you can click on a banner that says Six Steps to Holy Week, or Passion Week, Passion Week we're calling it, and uh, each of the six steps is each day. We started on Friday, and today we have step number two, and with me to talk about that will be Pastor Sean Thornton, and uh, we'll have that in just a minute. You can go to kkla.com and click on that banner, and you will see uh, step number two, admit your faults. That's what we're going to talk about today. Easter is an acrostic that we're using, and on the acrostic, it has the theme of each and every day. So E, examine. A, that's today, admit Sanctity is S, transform T, E, exalt, reflect is R. We'll do that each and every day this week, and not always at 3 o'clock. Sometimes we'll do it at the 4 o'clock hour, and uh, so we're looking forward to doing that. With me today for step two is Pastor Sean Thornton. Pastor Sean is the senior pastor of Calvary Community Church in Westlake, and uh, you can find out more at calvarywestlake.org. Pastor Sean, welcome to Southern California Live. Great to be with you, Scott. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. You know, we started out these steps to Easter with the theme of examine yourself. But if you do that honestly, then you're going to discover there are things that you need to deal with within yourself. How do we do How do we do that as Christians? How do we be honest, particularly in a world where, you know, maybe admitting your faults is either, you know, politically a correct thing to do or something we just feel like we don't want to do? You know, I think it really starts with what the Old Testament talks about in terms of a proper sense of a fear of God, where we understand And I think the fear of God is not so much. It can include some of the fact that he is the God of the universe and you know, kind of a holy dread, if you would. But I think the fear of God is the idea that we understand who God is and who we are compared to who God is. Yeah. And so it begins with saying, OK, he is God. And if I'm talking to God, you are God and I am not, which puts us into a posture then to say, OK, and you're the author and creator of the universe. You're the savior of my life as a follower of Christ. So you are Lord of the universe, Lord of my life. So then my perspective on me comes in my relationship with you. So it begins with a posture of God is God, I am not. So there's a humility that comes with that. And whatever he sees, whatever he wants, whatever his spirit says about my life, I'm willing to receive. I'm, I'm willing to have him show me my faults, my sins, my shortcomings, and where I need to grow, what I need to confess, what I need to move forward with in terms of his forgiveness and redemption. But it's that relationship with God that humbles us. It's not just, like you said, in our world today, there are different ideas of humility or self-awareness, etc. Good things. 
But in our relationship with God, and especially this Easter, we're thinking about that, it has to do with my humility before God is kind of that starting point of being able to to admit, to confess my faults to him. You talked about uh, our relationship with God. That has a lot to do with being able to admit our faults. You know, when we have somebody we don't know, like when I used to run a young adult ministry, and most people are single, you know, one of the issues is, you know, when you're going out with somebody, you don't have to tell them all of your faults right at first. Uh, right, that's right. hard to do with somebody you don't know. But when you have a relationship with God, then it's it's part of a growing and healthy relationship with God or with even somebody you know. Yeah, it's it's definitely a part of that relationship. And it's also, even, even like you're using the dating illustration, I think there is something in our relationship with God in any relationship where you, some people I know will say to me, oh, every night before I go to bed, I try to think for, so hard, Pastor, of everything I've done wrong that day, and I try to, I try to find every fault, and, and I'll say to them, you know, what might be healthy is just say, Lord, what do you want me to know mm. about what I've done today where I have sinned against you, I've wronged someone else? Because I always want to be able to put my head on the pillow at night with a clear conscience for God and man. So it's it's also admitting the faults the Holy Spirit is is showing you right now. Don't get overwhelmed with the 500 weaknesses you have or the, the, the all the different ways you could have. The Holy Spirit also, we invite him to say, search me, show me, as the psalmist did in Psalm 139. Show me where there is sin, wickedness in my heart. And then as we confess that, then lead me in the way everlasting. So part of it is, I think even in like the dating analogy, you start with what he's showing you and you confess that. And the next day or two weeks later, he's going to show you other areas. I think it's Satan who will over, overwhelmingly categorically try to condemn us. See, you're mm. bad, you're evil, you're this, you're lustful, you're this. Try to Try to categorically slam us where the Holy Spirit will say, here's an area. Yeah. It doesn't match up to who God is and your relationship with him and what he says in his word. Here's an area you need to see the way God sees it, confess it, experience his forgiveness, walk forward in obedience. There is something I think that is refreshing about the idea that um, not only is God, you know, one thing about their relationship with God is he's already aware of our sins. Yeah, you know, We're not alerting yeah. him, by the way, God, I did this earlier today. You might not have seen it. You know, no, we're agreeing with him. Right. We're agreeing with him. You know, Sean, it's not like we go to God in prayer to tell him our sins and that we're informing God of our sins, that he doesn't know. By the way, God, I did you know this stuff today. You may not have seen it. Part of the relationship with God and part of the reason you go to God and ask him to examine you is because he already knows. And there's something comfortable about that. It's something that should be comforting to people that God still loves you. And he already knows everything there is to know about you. So go ahead and tell him. Go ahead and talk about it. What would you say about that? I would say that even the verb in, in 1 John 1, 9 says, the verb that's there in the original is the idea of agreeing with God. Hmm. So it's when I look at my life and I say, okay, I wasn't honest in that situation. I was arrogant in that moment. I, w- I was struggling with lust in my, my heart. It's, I'm agreeing with God that this indeed is not a part of his righteousness. This is not a part of his holiness. I have stepped into the dark. And that's right before First John 1, 9. It's all about walking in the light, stepping in the dark. And he's saying, we agree. My foot has stepped into the darkness. I agree with you. That is not the light. And Lord, as I confess this to you, I want to experience your forgiveness. You know, one key thing in this passage, Scott, is that the 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 real emphasis of this verse is on he is faithful and just to forgive us. Yeah. There is no doubt, no question that as we confess, he will continue to forgive us. He's not holding back on us. He's not 
not saying you better get your exact confession right. You better have the spiritual words exactly right. I have people say to me, I said this to God. Was that the right thing to get his forgiveness? Yeah. It's mainly in your heart saying, Lord, I stepped in the darkness and the forgiveness and cleansing of the faithful, righteous God comes back again, forgiving and cleansing that spot in the, the believer's life. You talked about agreement with God, and there's really two ways. It's agreeing that his word is true, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. Um, yep. And then also, you know, agreeing that his, uh, what God says is a sin is actually a sin, or agreeing that if there's something that we know we need to work on or that God says we need to work on, agreeing that we do. Do you find that that's a struggle for believers sometimes, that we, we know that God wants us to deal with something in our life, but we, we don't agree? I think you're right, and I think the more the world's values change, yeah. and even some people who name the name of Christ begin to redefine values and morality, we're beginning to misunderstand. That's why it's so important to be in God's Word. This is His revelation of Himself. This is His revelation to us of what He expects from us. I think there's actually a third thing we agree with God in, on, is not just you know the, the two that you mentioned, this is sin, and we've stepped in it, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but it's also we're agreeing that he is the one who he's the only one, and he is the faithful one that based on the what we're talking about at Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is faithful and just. And he can only be just in forgiving us based on the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus yes. took the justice I deserve. So even the forgiveness of my lie this afternoon when I confess, is coming directly from the cross, and that's very important. So we agree with God that, that this is sin. I've stepped in it, but I agree you are the one who has paved the way. You're the only one who can give me the forgiveness that you've been giving me as your child. That is huge for the, the gospel message and for Easter, and in the process of letting other people know we're Christian. We've got to agree that we need a Savior in the first place. That's right. right? Yeah. That's one of the big things, and I think— you know, for, for Christians who are interacting with other people, maybe thinking that they're going to invite them to serve Easter or any other church thing, they want them to know about Jesus, part of being able to confess your sin is to be able to humbly say, right, hey, I need a Savior, because of the, and yeah. so do you. Yeah, I think that's huge, and I think that, you know, there's a lot now and there on mindfulness and things in our world of self-reflection, self-awareness, self-forgiveness, self-care— and I'm not slamming any of that just as a category. And we can easily dismiss that. But this is a level way beyond that. Yeah. This is the God of the universe, as I, as his spirit speaks to me, is showing me where I've stepped in the darkness and in the light. And it definitely goes to what Easter's all about. Because on the cross, he paid the price for my forgiveness. In the resurrection, he provided the freedom now. That as I experience that forgiveness, even after confession of sin, I am free to walk in his righteousness. I'm free to walk in his grace. I am liberated from the shackles of sin, all because of the cross and that empty grave. And so even in my daily confession is linked directly to what Easter is all about. You know, when we talk about Easter, and I imagine you're doing this in your church, most churches are saying, hey, you know, invite people to Easter Sunday. Yeah. And I'm sure that you probably always have something for to people to regularly invite people to Sunday or your small groups or other things sure. that you do. You know, this idea that there is freedom in following Jesus, how do we communicate that to the people in our life, the people who are very influenced by the world's uh, message of just being self-certain about everything and even self-saved, and that's kind of where we are. Uh, I was listening to the news today, and they were talking about 
the increase in anxiety and the increase in all this stuff for people. And they're kind of scratching their head going, we don't know why this is happening. And I thought, I want to scream at the TV. Well, I know why it's happening. You're rejecting God. Exactly. The more we live out of harmony with the God, the way God wired us, we're going to experience anxiety, frustration, a lack of peace, not only in our relationship with God, with each other. I think some of our polarization in our world goes right to what you're talking about, Scott. Because when we know Jesus, the message of the cross is not only that we have a healing with God, but it's the only way to have a healing with each other. That's right. Uh, and, And in the body of Christ, particularly the night before he was crucified, he says, you know, the way they're going to know you're my disciples is how you love each other. And the only, and I imagine that night they're looking across because they had like a member who was almost like an Antifa and someone almost <laughs> chewing on at the table. That's right. Extremes in that room. And he's saying, <laughs> you guys loving each other is going to show the world you're my disciples. And that, and they're looking at each other. This can't happen, but it couldn't happen until what happened the next three days. That's right. Then it was able to happen that we can be a bond in Christ. We can have forgiveness and relationship with him, but also with each other. And I think that's what the, the church is supposed to be. And the world's supposed to go, wait a minute. They're dealing with cancer. They're dealing with death. They're dealing with the birth of a child with, with a special ability, a special need. They're dealing with this. But wait a minute. Those people are loving each other. They have that's a right. freedom even in their heartache that we want. And that's what Jesus was saying. And it's only through the power of the cross and the resurrection can we have that together? And the world, when when we're living like we really know the cross and the power of the resurrection, it raises the curiosity of a watching world. You know, I think that maybe people don't know it, but people are looking to the church for this answer. And maybe some of the frustration in our culture also is they don't always see it. So what do you say to people as a pastor, to Christians, so that we're not screaming at other people about, hey, your freedom is in Christ and smacking them around? What's the best yeah. way to communicate this to the the QAnon or the Antifa who's in our office, as you said, but yeah. our, but people that we're working with, the people that are we go to school with, the people that are our neighbors, maybe people that we we know because we're with them all day, but we don't always know them. What is what is the best way to go about inviting people ultimately or getting to a place where it's it's comfortable and and normal in a relationship to invite somebody to church? I think we need to switch the focus from what you need to that person that's in our office at work or our neighbor we're talking to in the cul-de-sac. What you need is Jesus. What you need is forgiveness. What you need. And talk about what I found in Christ. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then when we, that's why I say, you know, it's a, we want to raise the curiosity of the watching world by the way we live and love like Jesus in our neighborhood or workplace, wherever we go, so that we're saying to them, can I just share with you what this Christmas, what this, excuse me, what this Easter means to me? Can I just share with you what that cross, that empty tomb means to me? I found hope. I found peace. You know, you might, if you've gone through cancer, you know, four mm. years ago, you knew I was going through chemo. Yeah. I can tell you the only way I got through that was with my relationship with God through Jesus. And, you know, this is why I think what we're talking about today, the idea of admit your faults, what we talked about yesterday and part of our conversation today, examining ourselves Part of that is our relationship with God, but it also gets us ready to tell our story, to tell other people why I need Jesus. And I think you're right. It's a powerful, powerful thing, our story. Yeah, and it gives us credibility when we tell our story. Yeah. And even if, let's say, a coworker or a neighbor, we've confessed that we were short with them to the Lord, then we need to go to them 
and say, you know, I was thinking yes last night at home. I was short with you yesterday. I apologize for that. Then three months later, when we have an opportunity for Christ to mention what he means in our lives, we say we have some we don't have to go back and say, remember how I asked you forgiveness? That's what Christians do. No, it's just we have credibility that we legitimately we're doing what God tells us to do to to we've we confessed our sin to the Lord. He brought that forgiveness. And if we wronged someone else, we went and made that right. And there's a credibility. Again, I think the world may not even know that they're looking at Christians. They may not even be aware that they're looking for something. But God knows that he wants us to be the image of Christ for that, raising that curiosity of a watching world. Yeah, I think that word credibility, it's huge. And we have credibility when we are in Christ, when we're doing what he says. There's, you know, the the commands of Christ, what I try to say to people is, Yes, they're they're for us and growing in Christ. We're going to live better if we follow Jesus. Our life will be better. We'll go through things better. But if that was the only purpose, then maybe what should have happened is as soon as we accept Christ, we go right to heaven because it'll never be that good. You know, if, if exactly right, if the purpose is that, well, then we should just go right to heaven. But the purpose of us following Jesus is for others so that they'll follow Jesus. Exactly, and not only if if the purpose was just to save us and take us to heaven, he would have snatched us up right in the moment we received Jesus. But yeah. it's also that it's also that he didn't put a little bubble around us here while we're still here. Right. We're still going through the job loss, the financial crisis. Inflation affects us just like it, affect, it you know, That's right. uh, affects our neighbor. The Looking at a retirement portfolio. Portfolio, yeah. A retirement portfolio, and it's going down. For us, it's going down just like our neighbor. But That's when right. they say, wait a minute, he's going through the same stuff. She's going through the same things, but they're responding differently. Yeah, yeah, there are some tears, but they have hope. Yeah, there's some discomfort, but they have a confidence. What, what, where's that coming from? Yeah, And that gives us that credibility we were talking about. And that's good stuff. And the confidence is a resurrected Jesus, that he isn't just a guru, right, who had some exactly. good things to say, that he is who he exactly. said he was, and he rose again. And that brings us to Easter. That's that's a big part of the, the message uh, for Easter. At uh, Calvary Church, my guest is Pastor Sean Thornton. He's the senior pastor, pastor of Calvary Community Church in Westlake. And uh, Sean, what are you doing at Calvary Community Church in Westlake this year for, well, for Easter? Well, one, I'm going to be preaching a series uh, two weeks leading up to and the week of Easter called The Three Days That Changed the World. Uh, we'll look the first week, of course, at that uh, what what it was like for the disciples to see Christ on the cross, mm. what it mean in their lives, the agony they went through. Then talk about that day of silence, Saturday. What did that look like? Then the third day is Easter weekend, of course, and we've yeah. got services on Easter, uh, two late Saturday afternoon, three Sunday morning. Uh, you can go to calvarywestlake.org if you're in our region, don't have a church to attend. If you've got a good church, be there. Great weekend to celebrate. If you don't have a church, we'd love to have you at Calvary. And I'll be preaching that week about that third day, that third day that changed the world. And it's changed my life. I know Scott has changed your life, and it promises to change many more lives. So I always say if you can't preach on Easter, you might as well hang it up. <laughs> because yeah. it's the easiest day to preach in a way. <laughs> yeah, you never, day. <laughs> you never think about, what am I going to preach on on Easter? You know. Yeah, no, uh. <laughs> when people ask me, so what will Easter be like this this year at Calvary? Well, we're going to have a lot of celebration music, of course. We have a, by the way, we do have a Good Friday service, uh, Friday night, Good Friday at, at 7. 
Uh, we even have kind of, uh, you know, we have a time of communion where we'll reflect. It's a much more reflective, somber yeah. service. We take the tone of Good Friday. Hmm. But on uh, Saturday and Sunday, then, we just we just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll be talking about the day that changed the world forever. And it changed my life forever. Uh, and then, of course, the invitation that day to everybody uh, that are with us will be, and uh, that day, the day Christ was raised from the dead, can change your life forever, too. You know, when you look at it in the resurrection, the it it changed people's lives, and it really did change the world. You know, if you have somebody that is a friend, and they're sort of, you know, a thinker, you know, ask them to look at the world and the way it was and how everything changed at that moment. You know, it, it's yeah. profound, actually, how the resurrection provides, obviously, uh, everlasting life and forgiveness for all who believe, and that impact change the world. Uh, I think uh, Lee Strobel's book, The Case for the Resurrection, he points that out. Yeah. That, you know, there used to be an old Disney cartoon called Dinosaurs, and it was supposed to be B.C. before, you know, all this stuff billions of years ago. And I remember the characters would, would chuckle with each other like, why are we counting down? Uh, why, why are the years getting less? And I always thought that was somewhat humorous in the show, like the dinosaurs can't figure out what they're counting down to. But what we know they were counting down to is what the Old Testament prophets were pointing to the arrival of the messiah and now we look back on his arrival his suffering for us his conquering the grave for us and we know that he's the first of the first fruits of the resurrection and because of the hope that's found in christ's resurrection we can have hope today and forgiveness going back to the idea of confessing our faults or admitting our faults you know because of what we celebrated easter we have confidence that he'll be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's right. And the resurrection proves that he's capable. If he doesn't rise, then he's yep. another, he is a guru. Uh, no, I think it's been said, you know, that's the day the check was written on the resurrection. The day was ca- the check was cashed. That's right. You know, that's when it really came through. That's right. Uh, Pastor Sean Thornton, thank you for being with me today, and we really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Scott. And uh, praying for you for Easter and what's going to happen at Calvary. Uh, Pastor Sean Thornton is the senior pastor of Calvary Community Church in Westlake. You can go there by visiting calvarywestlake.org. Get the address and go there in person and uh, check it out. If you're looking for a church and you're in that area, I highly recommend it. Pastor, thanks for being with us today on Southern California Live. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. Have a happy, happy Christmas Easter. Excuse me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I will. And you too. And hey, and everybody listening, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, hey, there's somebody I want to invite, you know, I want to encourage you, number one, to invite them to go to church. And also something that we have for you is if you would like to give somebody a Bible, a family member or somebody that you work with, somebody you're just thinking, I need to get them a Bible, we'll give you a free one. Go to kkla.com, click on the link for uh, this Easter series, and you will have a form there where you can actually uh, give them a Bible. So go to kkla.com, click on the the banner for the Steps to Easter, and we'll get you a free Bible. So go ahead and do that right now. All right. God bless you. We'll be back in a moment. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. You can call right now, 888-528-2557, and join the conversation. Our guest was Pastor Sean Thornton, and if you missed the interview or you heard it and you want to see it again, you can go to kkla.com and go to day number two of Six Steps to Easter. And we're doing this because we really want to be prepared for Easter and not just sort of walk through this. There's a lot of things going on in the news and, you know, I'm sure there are distractions. I mean, today the news focused on a plane taking off from Florida and landing in 
New York, and initially there was a motorcade going to the plane, then a motorcade leaving from the tra- the plane to uh, the Trump Tower, and really nothing new came out of today. <laughs> there will be some new stuff tomorrow, but gosh, that you know that affected a whole lot of the day. And we think that your Holy Week should be better than that, that that despite what is going on in the world out there today, you know, we pay attention to it and there's things. This is an important week. Holy Week, Passion Week, Easter vacation, you got Easter coming up. And I hope that you're going to church on Easter. If you're somebody who doesn't go to church, but uh, you're thinking about, hey, maybe I'll go on Easter, you would know, go on Easter. It's a great day to get back into church, but make sure you go the week after Easter, because a big part of church is not just showing up on uh, Christmas and Easter, the uh, the Cheester uh, Christians that so many of us have become in so many ways, but being a part of the fellowship. And you know, one of the things that you see during this week, yesterday was Palm Sunday, right? And Thursday is Monday, Thursday, and Friday is Good Friday. It has names, right? Then you have Resurrection Sunday. You ever wondered what happened on Monday? Like, what's what's Monday? You know, some traditions you might call every day, you know, Holy Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, you know, whatever day. Uh, do you call it Holy Week? What is your, is it Passion Week? You know, I guess every week actually is Holy Week after the resurrection. But uh, specifically this week, scholars don't agree on what Jesus might have done on Monday, but the Gospel of Mark is is pretty clear that he, on Sunday— spent the night in Bethany, and then did a couple of things on Monday. And there's some idea of what he might have done on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, mostly now because scholars discovered um, archaeological evidence of the iPad of Turin, which they think might have shown Jesus's schedule. So we think we've got that down here. Uh, It's debatable, however, whether or not that is legitimate, but it might show us what he did on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And, you know, Palm Sunday is not debatable. We know that happened on Sunday. Everybody agrees that happened on Sunday. Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, not in dispute, like I said. Uh, that's why we attach the day of the week. See, that's how brilliant scholarship works this way. We're pretty confident that Good Friday was not originally Good Wednesday and got messed up, uh, which would then throw off our entire week, right? Meaning that there would be Monday, Monday, and Resurrection Friday, and that would mess up our Easter service plans for the weekend. Of course, uh, if it was Resurrection Friday, that probably would mean we'd be having church every Friday and not on Sunday right? It would be the Lord's Day. Are you with me here? Are you following me? See, so Friday would become the weekend and Sunday, the first day of the work week, and then Sunday would become Monday, and all of the Monday blues that we have would actually be on Sunday instead of Monday, making Monday really the Tuesday, and then Thursday would become the Friday, and we would be more excited for the upcoming weekend on Wednesday because it would be the Thursday. Now, if you're still with me, <laughs> hang on. Let's get to the character. Monday. Uh, you know, we heard from Pastor Sean, we were talking about confessing our sins, and we are talking about this idea that we need to, uh, on Friday we talked about examine ourselves, right, that we need to examine ourselves. We're going to discover something, and you need to admit your faults. You need to admit them to the Lord. He already knows what they are. And, you know, when you look at the week where Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, and there's a lot of festivities going on and different things, most scholars believe in the Gospel of Mark, I think pretty much lays this out, that a couple of things that are very important happen on Monday uh, of Holy Week or Passion Week. Mark eleven twelve it says the next day, that would be the next day after Sunday. See how the scholarship works there? That would be the next day. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. He said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. 
and the disciples heard him say it. The Matthew uh, version of that says that they saw the the leaves wither. I had to look this up, and the interesting thing is that if the leaves are on a fig tree, the fruit comes later, right? And so he expected by seeing leaves, a person would have expected there to be actual fruit. It wasn't there, and then Jesus cursed the fig tree. And you know, it's an interesting thing to do, but it it fits what is going on on Monday. So Jesus comes in on Sunday, and I want you to think about this because when we take a look at ourselves and the credibility of the church. And that's a question I'm asking here is how's our credibility in the culture with what we really believe, what we are ought, what we ought to believe and what we're really doing. See the credibility of the uh, religious leadership in Israel was shot. And Jesus is going to point this out. It had lost a lot of credibility with people who took their scriptures very seriously. It had lost called them the remnant, okay? Mary would have been part of that group, uh, Jesus's mother, Mary. And the the religious leadership had made a lot of deals, were working very closely with the Roman government, and the religious leadership was pretty wealthy, and everybody else was very, very poor. And Jesus, who had already come into Jerusalem, remember there was the pomp and circumstance, you probably talked about this in church on Sunday, yesterday, the pomp and circumstance, but Jesus was shedding a tear. And he says, Jerusalem, if you only knew. And a lot of people think this story is a symbol of spiritual barrenness, that the fig tree was often used in the Bible as a symbol of Israel. And Jesus might have been using the tree to illustrate that the nation wasn't bearing fruit and that Israel had failed to produce the spiritual fruit that God desired. And then it's also an illustration of judgment that the fig tree was expected to bear fruit and when it was in season, and its failure to do it was a sign that something was wrong. You ever have a tree that just, whatever reason, it doesn't bear fruit one year? Well, it's a sign that something's wrong, right? It concerns you. We had some tree, I want to say it was an apricot tree. We didn't know what tree it was. Am I right about it being an apricot tree? You'll know if you know apricots, I guess. There's some kind of tree that only bears fruit like every third year. And it got all the leaves, and then there was no fruit. First year we lived there, it had fruit. And the next year it had no fruit. The following year it had no fruit, but then it had fruit again. Somebody told me that it's every third year or something like that. So that would be the normal thing. But if it's never growing fruit, you know that something is wrong if it's a fruit tree. Lots of people also look at this passage and they think about faith, because in Mark and Matthew, where the fig tree story is, there is, it's sandwiched in between stories about faith. And, you know, I think all of it comes together because you really need to have faith in the area of of bearing fruit, faith that God is working through you, that faith that in your confessing Christ as your Savior and faith that God wants to grow you in your faith, that you, when you examine yourself, God um, shows you what you need to pay attention to, the sins in your life, and calls you to repentance, and that's admit your faults. That's what we're talking about today. And what you're seeing here is Jesus go into this week, and that creates a lot of conflict. I mean, maybe it creates conflict in in your own life. Maybe you don't want to even say that you have faults. We're living in a culture today that is so self-certain that we don't like to say that there's something wrong with us, or even if there is, whatever's wrong with me, there's a lot more wrong with that group of people over there, or those people who believe that, or those people who have that behavior. Thank God I don't have that behavior. But you know, God is always calling us to examine ourselves and to take a look at ourselves. And it has to do with our own credibility so that we can minister to everybody else. A similar thing happens in another way in Luke 19. Most people think that scholars believe that on Monday is when Jesus cleaned out the temple. 
Now, some scholars will say it happened on Sunday right after Palm Sunday. Uh, it really kind of depends. There's some debate on that. But let's say this happened on, on Monday. Luke, uh, Luke 19, 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and teachers of the law and leaders among the people were trying to kill him. So it's already Monday, and there was a big parade on Sunday, and now they want to kill him. Uh, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. What you do see is that Monday is a day of conflict. You see the exposure of the religious leadership for not getting it and the exposure of sort of the unrighteous Israel in not bearing fruit. And it leads us, I think, to ask this question, what's the temple today, by the way? If Jesus is going to clear out the temple, what's he going to do? What's the temple today? In the Old Testament and the New Testament there where Jesus is, is there, what's the temple? Well, it's the, the building where you do worship and it's a, it's a structure. But what's the temple today? It's you and it's me. We're the temple. And so here's the question for you today. On this holy Monday, if Jesus were to look inside you, what would he find? What would he come out? What would he have to clear out? And, and do we have credibility? You know, is, is the church able to stand up to the culture today that is anti everything that the church seems to be teaching? in so many ways, at least the foundations of it for sure. What's your relationship with the church? Gallup found and has found that there are many more people today who say that they're not Christians, who there are fewer people acknowledging Christian faith than ever. Maybe not fewer than ever, because probably there were a lot of people who were Christians in our country and, you know, they never really believed it. But that was that was something that we as a country believed at one point, that you should have some kind of religion. And most people, Christianity was the religion that they would pick. So I'm not really sure that there's fewer Christians today. I think that you have fewer people who feel the necessity to acknowledge, hey, I'm a Christian. But for those of us who are Christians, how are we doing? What do you think? What is some of the most important things that we can do in our world today to make sure that we have credibility, to make sure? I think that admitting our faults has some to do with it, but then it also goes out from there. We don't just admit our faults and then feel sorry for ourselves, but it's to live a life as one who is forgiven. It's to live a life as one who truly is a new creation, who acknowledges their sin, acknowledges their fault, and works hard to stop doing that. You know, I think you build a lot of credibility with people when you can do that. And you know what comes when you have credibility with people? You get influence and you bear fruit. You bear fruit simply by caring for other people, by reflecting the love of Christ. When we get to the end of this series, these six steps, we're going to talk about how to do that with people in your life. I think that really matters quite a bit. I hope that's something that helps you. Hey, when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this. I got a great clip from Alistair Begg, who shares something so important about the gospel. It's totally worth hearing, and uh, we'll take your calls. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. Pastor Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Monday edition of SoCal Live continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Can I share something personal with you that is interesting since uh, I have been in this role as the host of the show for almost a year? This will be the first Easter 
that I am not giving a a sermon. I mean, in a way, I'm giving one every day in some ways on the show, right? It's just, but it is an interesting time where I'm going to go to church and sit with my family. I have never in my life sat with my family on Easter Sunday. Just something to think about. It's something I'm thinking about, you know, and, uh, you know, and it it creates something that is different. I mean, typically as a pastor, and if, if you're new to the show, I've been a pastor for 25 years, 18 of those as a lead pastor. And uh, even before that, I was teaching Sunday school or teaching somewhere. But as a lead pastor, I usually would get to church early, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, often when I would arrive. Sometimes it was because I had some great panic that uh, the sermon I prepared is really terrible, so I better write another one. And uh, God will wake you up sometimes at four in the morning and say, all that work you did in the sermon, uh, it was terrible. I'll give you another one. (laughs) Either way, I would show up early and pray, get prepared, and uh, sometimes panic. But Easter, you know, you pretty much know what you're going to preach on, and you have uh, several different options of passages, but it's it's kind of the same thing. And you really have to focus, I think, a lot on what does your particular church and your particular community need to hear, which, you know, there are great stories in the Scripture where you can bring out the gospel. Of course, you have the resurrection, and you have to teach on that, but you can teach about the road to Emmaus, where Jesus, after the resurrection, is with people that haven't recognized him yet, and they're talking about this amazing story that maybe Jesus had risen from the grave, and he reveals himself. He says, uh, and then he tells them how the scriptures relate from Moses all the way to the present time. And I mean, it's amazing. Great. It preaches well. It really teaches, you know, that the resurrection of Christ, that all of time is pointing to this. That's why your calendar, by the way, counts backwards to that day and then, uh, or to the birth of Christ, and then forward, and you went backwards before that, right? It's, uh, it's, we're counting forward now and backwards before that. He's at the center of your Apple calendar, okay? Your, your Google Mail, wherever you keep your calendar. Maybe you still keep it on paper. There's so many different things, and yet here's, here's the key. Here's the key to it. And for you and your family, However you deal with Easter, however you talk to your kids about it or your neighbors, hopefully you're bringing somebody. It's the easiest day of the year to bring somebody to church with you um, and ask them. Just ask them. They'll probably say yes. And if they say no, it's it's fine. You ask them again next year or you, you invest in their life in between now and then. It doesn't have to be an Easter, but they'll probably go. But you want to make sure the gospel gets is clearly stated. And a big piece of it today is, that gets lost is sometimes we end up talking about so many other things. And for people today who are seeking maybe religious faith and they're not exactly sure which direction to go, they didn't grow up in school learning about the differences of the world religions or whatever world religion class they had. It's probably wrong. It's probably not right, not just about Christianity, but even all of the different religions often get taught incorrectly. But one of the big pieces that gets missed so often is the difference between Christianity and every other faith. And that is that you're saved by grace. You're saved by faith. You're not saved by works. Every other religious faith and every other philosophy, if it's not really religious, and it kind of is, it's kind of what philosophy is, it's a search for what really is true. And ultimately that will lead you to religion or, you know, or no religion, which in that case, you've got to figure out what the purpose is of life and what the purpose is. And that's a horrible thing to have to do if there's no God, because then it's up to uh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. The, or your professor or yourself or whatever person you're watching on YouTube. Uh, the importance of Christianity being completely distinct from any other philosophy 
is one of those things that when people understand that, they begin to see, hey, wait a minute. This is a, a faith that accepts everybody who would believe, every whosoever, that involves forgiveness for whatever it is you're carrying with you, your spiritual angst, the things that you know that you have done wrong that are evil because you're aware of your motives, you're aware of why you did it, or the things that maybe you're not even aware, but you have spiritual angst about it. You know that you need something. Every culture on earth has thought that. You know, one of the greatest, you know, I want to be careful about maybe one of the greatest, but one of the explanations of this that I really liked, it's from Alistair Begg, and uh, you can listen to Alistair Begg every day on this station. He's a great preacher. I want to share this. Maybe you've heard this, and, uh, you know, if you've heard this, um, it doesn't get old. This just doesn't get old. This is Alistair Begg. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he. So he's going to begin here, and then he's going to, he's going to explain this. But did you catch on to that? That when you stand before Christ in every other religious point of view, why should you get eternal life or why should you get heaven or whatever the reward is from the universe, however you would communicate that? The answer for every other faith is because I did this, because I did, because I believed this, because I did these things, because I, because I, because I. But now listen to this. Listen to how he puts it. Because he, think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get their supervisor ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. That was Alistair Begg. You can hear him on his Truth For Life program right here. Isn't that good? That's good stuff right there. I love that clip. It's such a funny thing, the thief of the cross. You know, he he didn't go to uh, Jesus 101. He didn't take Christianity 102, 103, 104. He didn't have to do a whole bunch of things to earn his way into heaven. He's saved because Jesus said he could come, because he turned over to Jesus and he said, you're the one, and acknowledged Christ. And he had faith. He acknowledged you. I mean, it's amazing. And that's something you've got to know for your friends. 
that if you're thinking about inviting somebody this week, I want you to pray about it right now. I want you to pray, God, who am I supposed to invite? And that name that pops into your head, you might want to toss that name out. You might want to say, no, they're too big a sinner, or no, that person scares me, or no, that person hates me, or no, that person, you know what? They're just kind of lost. You know, they're a drug addict, they're criminal, they're a total jerk, they're whatever it is you want to, you know, anybody, anybody can come to Christ. You have no idea how God might want to use you to impact the life of that person that just popped in your head when I said this. You know, maybe they're going to tell you no, but maybe you're just one one person who's going to invite them, and the fifth person to invite them one day is the one who's going to actually lead them to the Lord. You have no idea. But you should trust that God has put people in your life right now for you to care about. And, you know, I think that a lot of the time, something we talk about, and I talk about this later in our series, is we we just want to kind of invite people to church, and that's kind of all the effort we do. There's a lot more effort. You should be praying all the time for that person who popped into your mind, and you should be asking God to use you in their life, to to love them, to be their friend. You should invest in them if they're your friend, right? Take them to coffee, buy them lunch, you know, serve them if you discover that they have a need and it's a need that you can meet. I'll bet that there's somebody in your life who's got a need that you can meet who doesn't know the Lord. And see, that is probably going to be more impactful at first than just an invite to church. Now, Easter's a, e- Easter is a, easy. Christmas is easy. Go ahead and invite. But after that, maybe what you should do is go serve. You should pray. You should serve them one way or the, the other. And you, you put yourself in a position where whenever you do invite them to church or you invite them to your small group or a church event that you have or you go see Jesus Revolution or you go just have a coffee and, you know, sometimes people are open to having a Bible study with you. Trust that God has put you in their life on purpose and that you will have the ability and the skills and the gifts and the right thing to say, the right life story, the right approach to the gospel. It's not, doesn't have to be hard. In Acts 15, where the church is having an argument about what kinds of things have to be done and what kinds of things have to be taught. One of the most impactful verses is in there, and it's verse 19. It says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Sometimes we make it so hard, right, to turn to God. We have all these steps, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this. Make it very simple. Thief on the cross, great story. Hey, you know what? And you can play them that clip. Alistair Begg, you can get our podcast, you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcast and find that clip for today, you will hear it. You know, it's impactful to people to hear that story. People who are searching, you know, there's people who are just going to reject and you still love them and you pray for them and it's just going to take them longer. But there's some people who are ready. Man, do that, do that for them. All right, hey, when we come back, Sam Sorbo is going to be with us in the top of the next hour, and you don't want to miss that. This is Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.